So, uh, we read from Romans just now, right? And, and, and Dan, we're going to have to jump back to that. So, uh, Was that confusing, that verse? Yes. Very confusing. Um, it's not... By the way, for those who know, and may not know, maybe, maybe no one knows here, Paul is difficult. In the midst of that text, if you look at the Greek, there was absolutely no punctuation whatsoever. He's just blah, 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 blah. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, and so, uh, I'm not a gram- grammar guy. And, and that you think that that would mean that you don't need punctuation. Actually, no, you're far more dependent upon the punctuation when you don't necessarily jump to the verbs and the adverbs and the adjectives. And so, man, that was a very difficult text to look at today. Well, didn't look at it today, this week, rather. But it's good news. I'm going to try to decipher some of this, okay? But first, we need to pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May we understand who you are, and may we grow in that. It is in your Son's holy name. Amen. If you can remember last week, I told you, do not feel shame or guilt, right? You shouldn't feel guilt. When you are forgiven, guilt should not reign, right? Let's look at verse 21. Martin Luther... Actually, verse, oh, I think it's verse 21. Reverse those numbers. There you go. I don't know. Uh, Go to verse 20. (laughs) Okay, there you go. There. Verse 20. There's our situation. There's where we're focused on. And, And Luther honed in on this verse. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. And he went on, and what did he say? Does anyone know Luther at all? I know some folks have went to Lutheran churches, but does anyone know anything about Luther? What he said was, and, and some of the Lutherans, I love Lutherans, I'm good friends with a lot of Lutherans, and they were, some guys wear like t-shirts that say, uh, sin boldly. Did you, did you ever see those, these t-shirts? Some have, some haven't. It says, sin boldly. Now, the, the, the difficult part of that is, is that they like what Luther says on that one part. Sin boldly. But the second part that Luther says is he says, but let grace abound even more so. And he's honing in on this verse. Whenever we think we are holy, remember this is what I said last week, whenever we think that we are holy and righteous on our own marks, on our own abilities, whenever we do sin... Guilt creeps in because we have this false assumption to think that you made your own holiness. That you did what you shouldn't have done, therefore you are bad. Right? That's what I talked about last week. And it's important to understand. Any good thing that you do, any righteousness that you have comes from whom? Not your ability, but Jesus. Not who you are but who Jesus is. Well, I'm going to carry this on. Um, The Dutch tradition 
Um, not to say that I'm Dutch myself, but this church comes from the Dutch tradition. Is anyone who knew that? Who didn't know that? That's a good question. This church comes from the Dutch tradition. Good. No one knew. Everyone knew that. Well, the Dutch tradition has this thing called CFRC. Very classic thing. Does anyone know what that is? CFRC. Anyone know what that an acronym stands for? I bet you if I say this next thing, you'll know what it is. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Does everyone know what that is? Everyone hear about that? Well, this, this concept... Okay, i got to take off my, my pastor hat, my preaching hat, put that down on the ch- chair, and i got to do a little bit of teaching this morning. Okay? And i got to tell you what CFRC means, what it means intrinsically to who we are as Christians. You see... <clears throat> God created creation. We'll, we'll start over here. As you, both, as everyone who knows, I, I like to actually walk and, and, and stand in places. So creation, fall, redemption, consummation is the story. The whole story of everything. Did you know that? God created everything, and Adam and Eve fell. As we read, uh, as you can read in the Bible, but as, you, as we read in the Heidelberg Catechism. And Adam and Eve fell. And from that point on, God was redeeming and restoring his creation. He was drawing the fall out of his creation. He was literally taking it out. And it culminated in one man who was able to be without sin, who was able to live completely. And that man was also God. He came down, became man, so that man could be united to God. And then, through consummation, we get this beautiful ending to the story. No, we're not going to scratch too deep as to what consummation means, the word. There's kids here. But we can talk about how beautiful, how united we will be with Jesus. And how we'll be united with the Father without any effects of the fall. Okay? That's what creation, fall, redemption, consummation means. That means we are still heading towards something. Not just some sort of heaven. Not some sort of reward. That's part of it, yes. But God is still creating you. It's still inner, it's still knitting you together. Even as we speak. Even, hopefully, in my humble approach to this, through my words, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's still working and changing you to to be ready, to be able to be consummated to Him. You hear me on this? Does this make sense? Meaning that you are being restored to Him, not just your sins, by the way, but actually your behaviors and who you are. The sins are a major part of it, but also who you are and the things that you do and what all these little ins and outs and all this and all the things you are, He is making in His image. He is transforming you. He's restoring you so that He can be consummated to you. Not, not just that you're going to be in some sort of heavenly reward. That's part of it. That's going to happen. I'm not denying that. But that you are going to relate to the Father in a way that right now you do not relate to the Father. Okay? Here's a better way to look at this. I shouldn't say a better way, but here's a way that kind of gives a little bit more flesh to it. So we have creation, fall, redemption, consummation, CFRC, some sort of old Dutch reformed way to look at it. If you want to go down this road, if you really want to understand this, Abraham Kuyper, go ahead. Pick up his book on Calvinism, read it. Here's another one. Ought 
is, can, and will. Four words. Ought is, can, and will. There's a, another way to look at it. We're sitting here today, and we hear horrible stories. Tell me something that uh, was in the news recently that was horrible. I need your help. There was another, there was another school shooting. When? Are you serious? How did I not hear about this? Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Sorry. There's another school shooting. That is, that is awful. Here's what a pastor says. Immediately the response is, that is not the way it ought to be. That is the fall. That is the fall. So that is the way, it, that is not how it is ought to be. How it ought to be is that we don't shoot each other. I'm not making a grand political statement about guns. I'm just saying we shouldn't shoot each other. Period. I don't care if it's in war, whatever. That is not how you were created to be. How you ought to be is not shooting each other. Here's how it is. We shoot each other. Here's how it can be. We can start working. We can start working to make sure that guns don't shoot people. That's what the church is for. Go back to the old Dutch way of looking at it. That's part of restoration. You see what I'm saying? Put it in these like, fancy words that I keep saying. What can be? I'll tell you what it can be. We don't shoot someone. We don't see little kids shooting kids. That's the way it can be. All it is can, and here's how it will be. No kids will shoot each other. No kids will shoot each other. That, I guarantee you. Here's what can be. We can work on it. We can work on it by hanging out over at Royal Manor. Right? Do you see the beautiful tension of this that I'm trying to throw out there? We can work. We're not going to see it in its full ability. We will never be able to guarantee that a kid will never shoot a kid again. Ever. We'll never be able to do that. No matter how much we do with guns or anything like that. But, I tell you, when Jesus returns, a kid won't shoot a kid again. The fall will be absolutely gone. But see, whether it is can, or whether it is part of redemption, or restoration, we can start working on it right now. See, that's the last question of the Heidelberg Catechism that, that we read today. Not of being all of it, but what we read today. Can you do a good work? No. But through the work of God in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it can start right now. It can start today. This is the beautiful part of this. But the question is, is what is Paul talking about here? We could easily see how Christ would interact in a setting like a church and not be comfortable with kids shooting kids. Well, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about who we are in our hearts. Okay? I think that's what Paul is talking about. Not just exclusively, but I think he's really trying to pinpoint it right here. And this is what he's saying. I'll illustrate it, actually. I'll illustrate it with a story. I remember what may have been my first lie. Do you know that? Tell me, what's your first lie? Do you remember your first lie? Have you lied yet? Oh, you have? Because okay. if you wouldn't have, I'd have, well, at least we know. Honest. No. I remember my first lie. Here's my first lie. 
I had this little, uh, I had this little type of ceramic container, and it was on my dresser. Did, did I ever tell this story to anybody? No. I know I've said it to someone in this building once. I do remember that. So I apologize if you've heard this story before. It was like a ceramic treasure chest. And what do you keep in your treasure chest as a kid that's really young? Goodies, candy, bubble gum, right? What's that? Rocks? Oh, yeah, baseball cards. But whenever you're a kid in the early 80s or late 80s, you had more than enough that could fit in that treasure chest. You had a lot of baseball cards, right? I had bubble gum. And when you open that up, when you open that up, it, it, you hear that sound, that ceramic sound of, everyone probably understands that, right? Everyone with me? You hear that surround? Well, my dad told me, he said, don't chew gum. He's like, don't, you just brush your teeth. We're going out. I don't want you to be chewing gum. That's what he said. And there's where I kept my bubble gum in that little treasure chest. I'm not saying that I lied and thought through it well, because I don't know how I was going to be able to hide chewing bubble gum in front of my dad, but you know what I did? Snuck up. Opened it up. Got some gum. Got rid of the evidence, or at least the evidence that I could, could get rid of, and threw it in the trash can. And I was chewing gum. And my dad was helping me tie my shoes. And he looked at me. By the way, that was my first sin. Pro may not have been my first sin, but that's probably the first one that I can remember that I did, is that I disobeyed my father. But the second one is not only did I disobey my father, he asked me, I may be making a grander case out of this than maybe it should be, but much like Cain and Abel when God said, where is your brother, Cain? I, was, I lied. Now, my dad's smart. He knew. He heard that, and he knew that's where I kept my gum. And also, probably, I was chewing. <laughs> I was chewing. So he probably, it was probably not too far away from him being like, okay, he's chewing gum. But he gave me the opportunity, much like God did for Cain, to say, yeah, I'm chewing gum. He said, Dan, did you chew gum? Are you chewing gum? faced with the opportunity. He gave me an opportunity to be honest. And what did I do? As your pastor, man who's supposed to lead you spiritually into a more righteous and holy life, I would love to tell you that I did not lie in that moment, but I did. I lied. I said, no, I did not. I most certainly did not, Dad. <laughs> and he said, open your mouth. And the jig was up. That's the issue, right? I knew nothing of the Ten Commandments. I did not know the Ten Commandments. I didn't have a grand lesson on lying. I wasn't told about lying. There wasn't this time in my life where my dad was like, do not do X, Y, and Z because X, Y, and Z is lying. And X, Y, and Z is bad, and you shouldn't do it. I didn't have any of that lessons. I just knew whenever someone told you something, told you to do something, or told you about something, you told them the truth. You just had that innate ability, right? 
Am I wrong here? Do you kind of get that? I'm not saying that we're, we're perfect from the beginning, but there's things like that. They'll be like, hey, what's, got, what, what, what's on the ground out there? And you tell me sand. I'd be like, no, it's snow. What are you talking about? It's sand. It's snow out there right now. You don't lie. You just tell the truth as you understand it. But yet I lie. And my dad was visibly hurt. I remember. I remember my dad being visibly hurt by it. So my question is for you. Do you think my dad was hurt just because I broke some sort of commandment? It was a commandment that I broke, by the way, too. I don't know if you knew that. Do you think my dad was upset that I broke a commandment? Yeah, maybe. But what really hurt him? What really busted him up? It was that there was enough space in my relationship to him, in my mind, where I could lie. I felt like lying was a viable option to him, and that's what hurt him. That my relationship with him had enough room in it where lies was currency, where lies was a good thing in my mind to him. And that's what hurt him. Now, let's take this back. Let's be a little bit more honest with the situation. It's a little kid lying about bubblegum. Yeah, I get that. But that's the microcosm of the larger story. Because Paul talks about it. Yes. This is the thing I think we don't get about the law. The law came in 400 years after Abraham. If the law was so important to God, he would have gave it at that moment. But he didn't, and there's a reason why he didn't. He waited until Moses to give the law. Because he wanted a relationship. He hated that you sinned, but he wanted a relationship. He didn't just sit back and be like, boom, you live those ten things, you live those ten laws, and then maybe, maybe I'll come knocking on your door. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He came up to Abraham and said, Go, leave Ur, and then just trust me. And Abraham believed him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, all you have to do is read the next chapter to realize how sinful he was, Abraham. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have at least a little bit of righteousness because God came to him up to him and started working started talking to him our God didn't just leave us with a bunch of laws that we have to live and I wonder if that is just what we do today I wonder if that is what we understand why do you come to this building why do you come here why does church exist for you who is Jesus is he just a guy who takes away all of the effects of sin for you? Or is he a God? Is he a guy who's drawing you to consummation with the God who created you? 
You see, this is what's being talked about in Paul. This is what this creed is talking about. Do not think that you can gain your righteousness on your own. It's through the power of the Spirit that you're able to gain this righteousness. If it was anything else, if it had anything to do with you, wouldn't the law come in much earlier? No, it certainly would have, but it's not where it's at. God waited to show you how sinful you were. It was almost as if, and if I think to put it in some sort of context, he's sitting up there and being and talking to Moses, and he's like, yeah, I don't want you to kill each other. I feel like God is almost frustrated with having to tell us some of these things to not do. Yeah, I don't want you to steal from one another. And darn it, I'm tired of having to tell you that. Darn it, I'm tired of that's what's the case. I feel like God gets frustrated with having to tell us what the law is because he knows he created you to not do it. Much like in an illustration I know that I've given before, it would be like me using this as a hammer. This was not created. This glass, this, this gobular, this, this, this cup that we do out of, uh, for communion was never created. It was never knitted to be able to be a hammer, to hammer a nail into a board. And if you disagree with me, you're not a good carpenter, right? This was never created. And you were never created to break the law. See, that's the way it ought to have been. But guess what? Emily, you've lied. I've lied. We've lied, right? I don't need to fight on it. Is that okay? Thanks. We've sinned. Sin has entered the world. Surprise. If you listened to my sermon last week, and if you re-listen to it, I hope you hear, we're depraved. We're sinful. And it is only until God does something in you that you're able to do anything of righteousness. It was only until Abraham was come upon by God. It was only until God came to Abraham that righteousness started to work. You know why this is so important? You know why Luther said what he said? If you sin, sin boldly. Why he said that? Because you're going to. You're going to sin. And you're going to actually sin boldly. He just wants you to own it. He wants you to realize how sinful you are. And it goes back to what I said last week. The moment you feel guilt and shame about that sin is the moment you feel like you've made your way for righteousness. That you've made this, this temple of righteousness of your own without Jesus' help. And you say, look, Lord, look what I have done for you. When Jesus is saying to you, I just want you. I don't want that. I want you. Because guess what? That's going to be the end story. Ought is, can, and will be. I'll tell you what it will be. You will be in such a close relationship with Jesus, with who he is, that you will spend time with him. I hope that I will get to go fly fishing with him. Because when people go fishing with Jesus, they do well. I don't know if you know that. I will go fly fishing with Jesus because this is going to be awesome. You'll be like, throw your line over there. <laughs> I know I will. I believe that that will be what happens. And I don't believe it will be 
re- removed from some sort of spiritual. I think that Jesus in the bodily resurrection will come back and we will be with him like he came in the first place. Now and not yet, and it will be. It will be with Jesus. So the good news is this. If I was to tell you one part of this story, pursue Jesus and what he's up to in this world because he's restoring it. And it's the only thing that will actually provide you righteousness. If you try to pursue righteousness outside of Jesus Christ, if you'd be like, yeah, 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 that's cool, Jesus. I'm going to really try to do this thing on my own. You will fall on your face. You may be very successful in certain ways, but you will not actually find true righteousness outside of Jesus. And I'll tell you that. I know that won't come as a surprise to you, but I think sometimes we do that. I think sometimes we kind of live into that. And I want to pull us away from that. And what I want to draw us towards is seeking what Christ is up to in this world around us. Because your phone, and in, in the readings, in the Celtic readings today, it is only through your weakness that Christ is made strong. Where do you hear that before? Paul in 1 Corinthians. He's not saying something different than what he's saying here. He's saying, through your weakness, I am made strong. Not me, Dan Torres, Jesus Christ is made strong. So admit that you are weak. And Jesus will be made strong through you. Seek him. Seek Jesus. Because it's the only source of your righteousness. Only source. Pray. Read the scriptures. See what he's up to. Speak into the lives of the youth. See that you've been given an opportunity at tutoring on Wednesday night or hanging out or whatever. See that the life that you've been given has been to participate in the work of Jesus Christ. To see the will be happen now. The can. What it can be. What it can be is we can make sure that kids don't shoot each other. We can make sure that a young boy doesn't lie to his father, as stupid as it may sound, about chewing gum. We can work towards that. Right? This is the good news in Jesus Christ. It's the good news. The lion will lay with the lamb. I know I preached on that sometime in the last four months because I threw that stupid picture up there. But I always throw up there. The lion will lay with the lamb. This thing that we usually see that will usually result in the death of one thing, the lamb, this is some sort of really beastly lamb, it's usually the lamb that dies will not happen. Death will not reign. That's what we're working towards. That's good news. In Jesus Christ, that's good news. So if you sin, sin boldly, but trust in the grace of Christ even more boldly, because he will be made strong in you. And I say that only through Luther, not through anything of my own abilities. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us. We thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Let us, let us realize that we already sin boldly. And let us come to you boldly about that, about our fallenness and our brokenness, so that we can trust in your grace boldly. So, so guilt and shame will not reign, but your righteousness will reign, and we will live into that. We will live into the what can be in our midst. That's what we will do. It is in your son's holy name. Amen. Uh, now is an opportunity where you can respond to this message with your gifts, ties, and offerings.